welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. It's your co-host, Jenny Scott, here with my special guest co-host, Mr. John Bauer. How are you, John? You know, are we are we going to continue to call it special guest host or just like sometimes co-host? You're my part-time BFF co-host now, <laughs> since Dan has essentially abandoned this part-time. But it's all right. He's busy. He's out there doing stuff, making presentations, traveling the world. So we'll accept it these few times. It's good, though, that I have a good, a good co-host standing, though. So couldn't ask for a better co-host. <laughs> Happy to be here, as usual. Yes, absolutely. So I'm super excited about what we're going to be talking about today. I feel like I always am, mostly because I'm just, I'm just like that. I'm just excitable, I guess. But we had the founder of MedFit on with us um, on our YouTube channel. And I believe she was on, I think she was on our, one of our early guests on the podcast, if I remember correctly, Lisa Dillery. Um, awesome lady, really cool that she started this this company that focuses um, on bringing health and medicine together. And this this is a movement, like this is a thing, you guys. It's not something that we've made up or we're trying to force together. But exercise is medicine, and that's the name of the movement. That's what people are trying to do. Um, exercise and medicine go hand in hand. Um, there's no reason that us as fitness professionals can't like branch out and learn more about medical conditions or medical situations and help incorporate like not necessarily treatment. I wouldn't say it like that, but how can exercise help people with these medical conditions? Because it 100% in most cases can. Um, so I'm super excited. John, how do you feel about it? <laughs> well, well, you know, of course I'm excited. You know, I'm, um, I've been in the fitness industry for a long time. I, I, I like to tell a lot of our students I've been doing it since the 1900s. And some of them are like, whoa, that's a long time ago. But it's, it's, been, it's been a pretty good run. And, you know, as I get older, because now, according to Google, I'm middle-aged, and now there's health <laughs> things that I need to pay attention to. And that is, that is actually my main focus and concern with my health and fitness is just making sure that I can just keep myself healthy and ready to go, that I can do whatever I want, uh, whenever I want to, as opposed to a lot of the, like, performance or aesthetic goals that I might have had when I was much younger. Absolutely. I agree. I'm almost to middle age. I'm a little bit behind you, John, but not much. But I want to introduce our guest that we have with us. Um, we have Jonathan Ross. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Hi, Jenny. I'm great. Thank you. Absolutely. So we're so excited to have you here. Now, I'm going to let you tell everybody how you got to where you are, because you have quite a few credentials. You work with quite a few different organizations, and you're all about education and you know binding fitness and medication or medicine together, which I absolutely love. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the industry, and how you kind of worked your way to where you are now? Of course. Uh, I guess... I'll, I'll be as brief as I can because I want to make sure everybody listening knows just a little bit of background why I'm going to say some of the things I'm going to say when we get into the nitty gritty of the interview here. Essentially, I got into fitness primarily motivated by my experience with my parents. My father was very heavy. He died when I was 24 years old. He was 424 pounds or 192 kilos. And at the time, my mother was also very heavy. And I was really searching for a career. I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Astronomy. And this was before Neil deGrasse Tyson made astronomy cool. 
<laughs> like nobody thought it was cool back then. This was in the 1900s, uh, John. <laughs> in the, uh, 1990s. So 1993, I graduated and I was kind of adrift because I knew I didn't want to work in that field. It's, I, I discovered right before graduating, it's more of an interest level, like a hobby more than a, a career I, I wanted to pursue professionally. It didn't really have a career. And I was beginning to just exercise for my own health benefit and there was a few friends said, hey, could you write me a program? And then my father died and it really shook up my world. I'm an only child. My mother was kind of a wreck. I had to, had, had to deal with it mostly myself, yeah. figuring out how to deal with all that after losing a significant other. And in, when the dust settled from that, this idea of working in fitness sort of popped in my head one day. And when it did, it gave me chills, it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It felt right like nothing ever had. And so I knew in that moment, that I, I just kind of had this choice and I began researching you know, how to get certified and start working in the industry. And after five years, double majoring in astronomy and physics, I was relieved to know I didn't need a college degree to work in the fitness field because <laughs> I was done with college. Uh, at that point, I'd had enough. And so that was exciting. But of course, you have to get educated. So I began getting educated, took the ACE test and uh, boom, it's been a great career ever since in 1997. But my entry point really was motivated by helping people around the world avoid an outcome like my father's. And not even so much the outcome, but the process that put him there. I like to tell people he stopped living long before he died. A way to think about, because I I saw the quality of life degrade in him on a day-to-day basis years before he actually died at age 56. And so that this experience is magnified and multiplied around the world for anyone who's living less healthfully than they possibly could. And if if you're aggressively unhealthy, your world just shrinks and you can do less and you're just not as free to have experiences that you enjoy. And my entire motivation for working in the fitness industry is to kind of reach the people that need our help the most, which is the people that are as far away from fitness as possible. And that was really my main motivation for doing it. it was primarily driven by my experience growing up and seeing how my parents lived and trying to help as many people as possible not live that way. Sure. Wow, that's super profound. I, what you said about your dad, like how his life kind of stopped long before he passed away. And that, that gave me chills because that does impact a lot more people than we think um, are in that situation. And they don't know what they're missing out on, um, sadly, right? They don't remember what they're missing out on it because they just haven't done it in so long. His quality of life was so poor. He stayed at home and didn't do much other than go to work. And he was he was a miserable human being to be around in that sort of interior world that people don't understand unless you've lived it or seen it at least secondhand in your own home. It's very hard to have an appreciation of what that is like. Absolutely. And now what do you do? You're the director of education for MedFit Education. Um, so what do you do in that role now? Yeah, it's been a Quite an interesting journey because I've been a fully independent fitness professional for well over 20 years. And then just three or four months ago, I decided to accept an offer of the position of director of education for MedFit. And essentially, I have what I like to characterize as two main roles. There's, an, there's my internal responsibilities and my external responsibilities. And my internal ones are simply coordinating with our course authors. And so for people who don't know, the MedFit Education Foundation is an education company. And in 2020, we pivoted pretty quickly to doing video courses. And, and we have between 10 and 20 hour specialist courses to zero in on a specific area of medical fitness to help fitness professionals get educated within that domain of medicine to help people exercise successfully in the context of whatever condition that is for. Mm -hmm. So then for this internal role, I'm working with course authors to help 
get their course materials to us in an agreeable way and upload the course into our learning management system and essentially launch the course out into the world. And I had the benefit of doing that uh, myself on the course author side. That's how I first came to hear about the organization is last year, I did the Alzheimer's Fitness Specialist course and that launched in December of 2021. And so now uh, this current role, I'm helping what I used to be just a course author, I'm helping people launch their courses, but more in an external way, I'm helping to develop partnerships with education companies, both in North America. And now I'm starting to work on some international partnerships because we're all humans. We are, we're all yeah. over the globe and we're all living longer, which means we want our bodies to last longer. And we're all dealing for the most part, there's such a significant percentage of the population now is de- is is dealing with one or more chronic medical conditions. And mm-hmm. what we're also seeing, and this kind of speaks to the journey of having a 25-year fitness career. Uh, back in the late 1990s when I got started, primarily people were hiring personal trainers. If you were either, if you, if you had a bodybuilding type goal or you were wealthy yeah. and you just didn't feel like exercising. And, and I, getting back to why I got started in fitness, I was like, that wasn't going to work for me. I wanted to be a personal trainer that worked in a way that made it more accessible to people. And that's also happened along with the change in society. And I think now more than ever, we're seeing just everyday average ordinary people just trying to live their lives and figure out a way to just fit fitness into it are now seeking the help of personal trainers because they're realizing that it is something that is accessible. And so this, this idea that we're now working with a higher number of just regular people than ever before, those regular people have some issues. And I don't mean the psychological ones as in terms of barriers of exercise, I'm meaning more the physical ones, although the psychological ones are there too. So we've got a lot of things we can be faced with. And like most professionals during my career, especially the early stages, you start working with someone and then you're looking at their paperwork and they happen to mention that they have MS or they have arthritis or they had cancer five years ago. And you just go, whoops, I guess I better go do some quick research on how to work with that. And that's one of the things in our company that we're trying to help people avoid is we're trying to give trainers enough education so they're not terrified of, oh, no, this person has this medical condition. I'm not sure what to do with them. I love that. And you're absolutely right. It is becoming far more prevalent. Um, and you do have to, we can still work with these people. That's the important part. We can absolutely still work with these people. Um, so I love that. There's a bunch of content developers right here in this little call right now. <laughs> All of us love to create content, but I feel like you can't create this type of content without a passion for it. And your passion is very clear, Jonathan. And I love that about you. <laughs> and speaking of speaking about some of this uh, content, Jonathan, you mentioned that Alzheimer's course that you uh, helped to author or that, that you offered for MedFit. And that brings us to the topic of, uh, of just brain health and its connection to fitness. Can you tell our listeners just some of the basics on how fitness is so connected to brain health? Yeah, anything that's good for our body is good for our brain. And there's a lot of, I don't want to say misconceptions because that's probably too strong of a word, but we like to put things in little buckets. So for example, you think of mind-body fitness and you think of yoga, tai chi, and Pilates. Well, there is no form of fitness that's not mind-body fitness because everything we do with our bodies is controlled by our brains. So there isn't, it's impossible to sort of isolate the variables of body and brain. They're always unified and we can associate or dissociate during any activity to a certain degree or another. However, it's impossible to fully segregate the two from each other. And so the understanding that anything we do that's good for the body is going to be good for the brain. And then kind of looking at it from 
the perspective of being kind to the fitness professionals out there so that as the population skews older, you'll have more and more people concerned with brain health in general, avoiding brain disease in particular, and perhaps maximizing cognitive function now. And if we just look at a basic understanding that all humans have had, if you do even a light form of physical activity, if you're just feeling a little, you know, out of sorts or a little funky or a little fuzzy and a little fatigued, you just go for a walk with your dog or just go outside in nature. If you don't have a dog, just go outside and you take a little walk. You just do something a little bit physical, even inside or outside. It doesn't matter. You do something a little bit physical. You typically feel a little bit better. Our bodies are wired to move. If you look just underneath of our skin, we're wrapped in muscle. And all that muscle is controlled by the brain. And the brain loves blood flow. So anything that sends more blood to the brain is good for brain health in general. And then in a more direct way, the people that might be concerned with brain health, if we exercise in certain ways, we just include some specific elements. We make things involving, uh, we make exercises involve some reactivity or coordination and especially partner interactivity and friendly challenge. And we have just enough novelty that, it seems new and it makes you pay attention, but it's not so challenging that it gets you demotivated. So the yeah. sweet spot is when you're kind of, oh, this is a little bit exciting and I'm not doing it perfectly yet, but I'm feeling good enough. I'm challenged, but I still feel successful. And that's kind of our sweet spot there with exercise for brain health is we make it either interactive and a little bit uncertain and have a little bit of novelty, or we can also include direct cognitive challenge in exercise. And one quick example is if you're doing squats, set of counting reps, subtract by sevens from a hundred as you're counting reps. So now it's 93, 86, 79, and you go on, you kind of go down, or I think I did the math wrong. I, I don't know if I did or not, but who- I don't know if I'd be able to do that, if I'm being honest. <laughs> well, it was kind of, you know, Joking, I don't think I did the math wrong, but the idea is that even if you do, so what? The point is you're trying and it's in the trying yeah. that makes it better. And so when it comes to like, and I'll just summarize saying this, when it came to human history, we got to where we are now in, in that we're the most dominant species on earth in terms of our, our impact on the world and we're the top of the food chain. We got that way by integrating cognitive challenge with brain challenge. We had to figure out how to survive in a complicated physical world and we had to integrate those challenges, meaning while we're out running around hunting or gathering, we had to figure out the terrain we were on, how to get home back to the tribe. Is that berry I'm looking at safe to eat? Uh, how can I catch that prey? How do I not become prey for some other predator? So it's like a cognitive challenge combined with a physical one. But now what everybody seems to want to do is sit still and play a brain game and then go work out and completely check out mentally. We have to put those two things together and do them at the same time to optimize. It's not that they're bad done separately. It's just that to optimize the results from brain health, we want to fuse those two things together, just like we did for all of human history. Oh, that makes so much sense. When you say sit down and play a brain game, I think of all those apps and stuff. We're like, do this and it's going to improve your brain. But yeah, you're right. You're sitting down. You probably will. I mean, there's some minor benefit to it. But in terms sure. of stemming any concern about brain disease, that's not going to come from a motionless brain game. We've got to get moving as well. Fair enough. I, I think I'm going to try to squatting, counting backwards from 100 by 7. I'm like thinking about, I need to figure this out. Just try it by fives. If it's if seven, I can do that. Right? 95, 90, 85, 80. That's easy. Sevens gets a little dicey. <laughs> yeah. Sevens and threes are where we get a little dicey. Yeah. Jonathan, just out, just out of curiosity, um, I we're all familiar with the fact that a lot of people exercise in order to zone out and actually not not use their brain. Uh, how important is the novelty 
um, in, in exercise in order to really get that brain going? Yeah, it's, 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 it's very important, but it's also not essential that you do it in every single workout. Yeah. So as long as you're getting enough of that novelty at some point during your physical activity, it's, it's okay to do things that are familiar. And novelty doesn't mean it's completely new. It just has to be a little bit new in that you, you might use a slightly different stance on your squat. And there's, a, there's just really some very small things you can do that don't necessarily become uh, an official thing you would probably call a brain game while you're exercising. It doesn't have to be that formal. You can just come up with small ways to make it a novel experience. And, and, and just doing that in and of itself, you could, uh, for example, with the squat as an example, if you had your feet where they would normally be positioned, if you think of a north, south, east, west axis for your feet, you can step one foot to the north, one foot south slightly, one foot east, one foot west, each repetition. So then you're keeping track of what you just did, where your next foot position has to go. You're still squatting. Yeah. And from, from a physical perspective, you're actually varying your foot position, which has many benefits to the biomechanics of the lower body in terms of preparing you for different foot positions. Because what I always find funny is when people are working out and they're under a squat rack, our feet are always almost perfectly symmetrically positioned. And then you're getting up off a toilet, out of a chair, out of your car, off of a couch. Your feet are rarely in a perfectly symmetrical position. So yeah. training for asymmetry, that's really what novelty gives us. It trains us physically for asymmetry, but in the context of keeping it engaged. So you could follow that pattern of north, south, east, west with one foot, then go north, south, east, west with another foot. And that's not complicated enough that it's going to require a lot of cognitive effort, but it's it's still making you pay attention a little bit. So even within that, you should be able to kind of check out a little bit if that's what you need. Yes, I love that. So it, like, yeah, just thinking about what you're doing while you're doing it. Um, so I would almost argue, would, tell me if you agree with this, Jonathan. So if somebody listens to music all the time, or sometimes I try and listen to a podcast, but I'm not going to lie, when I'm actually lifting and I want to focus on, like I like the mind-muscle connection and all that good stuff. So when I'm trying to focus on, hey, squeeze this, focus on you know, driving your knees out, whatever, I try not to listen to podcasts when I'm actually lifting. I'll only listen to them when I'm doing cardio, so something rep repetitive, where I'm not going to fall off of it or hurt myself if I zone out, quote, quote, right? And I'll turn on music or even turn my music off completely when I'm lifting. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a very individual thing. I'm more yeah. like you in that I want something with some good good up tempo, some energy, some punch, some like ah, just sort of when I'm especially when I'm lifting or doing something of a higher intensity. I don't want to try to pay attention to a book on tape or a podcast. But there are people that do that. Great. You have to figure out what serves you best. And I think whatever helps you stay engaged. Like for example, sometimes if, like if I've got a really good jam going in between sets, I might even dance a little bit. So you're getting yeah. a bit of and some of that enjoyment factor that you get during physical activity and exercise, if, if it's in the context of enjoyable music, it's going to have more positive effects on you because now you're creating an emotional context of enjoyment. And that's kind of one of the things that we've been that we've been missing in the fitness industry is that we think about once people get fit, they'll enjoy it, but we can help them enjoy the initial process more. And if you have enjoyable music as a backdrop for your fitness experience, it's yet another way to enhance the sort of in the moment experience of enjoyment. So we make fitness seem more appealing to people. Absolutely. Perfect segue. Because I want to know more about like physical activity and uh, enjoyment and fun. And, and you, you have uh, a company, Funtensity. 
Um, so tell us more about like, why is it important to have fun in fitness? What, what benefits can people get from that? And then also tell us about fun density. Okay. So the, the main reason for people to integrate fun with fitness is that so it, it gets easier to stick with it. And that really is it. You think about anything, time flies when you're having fun. These very common expressions that we have. And most people don't apply that to their exercise program. In, in that if we make it fun, you don't know how long it's taking. It doesn't feel like a chore anymore. And we know that universally among the public who doesn't exercise consistently or even does, but they just do it grudgingly. There seems to be this attitude that fitness is in the same category of pick up the dry cleaning, stop by the grocery store and get gas. It's a chore. It's an errand. It's the kind of thing you just get done and, put, and check off on your list. Sure, that can work physically. But if we are, if, if we're in a negative or neutral mindset, especially if we're negative, like someone who really is resistant to exercise, doesn't want to do it, they're doing it because their doctors told them they should or their spouse told them they, they have to or they're going to leave, then now you're doing something you don't enjoy and you're creating a kind of stress response and your brain puts out chemicals in a, in a stress response that actually make your body less able to derive the benefits of physical activity. So even just from a physical perspective, we want to have a sense of at least neutrality or hopefully a positive one. So we have this context of I'm enjoying this. Therefore, I'm actually going to probably work a little bit harder without you having to push me as much to. And then on the back end, after it's over, we can create an experience that says, you know what? That was hard, but I also enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to doing that again. And it completely flips things around. And one of the key uh, taglines or whatever you want to call it with intensity. And I came up with that really studying the brain a lot. It was all about this idea of we do things we enjoy more often. And I find that as a kid, for me, my happy place was climbing trees, having snowball fights, playing football in the street, uh, just riding bikes, running through sprinklers, just all this stuff running around with friends and playing. And I didn't really work out. You know, so it, it was yeah. really in the context of emotional enjoyment. And creating an experience for people where you don't realize how hard you're working until you stop is the essence of it. So you're not focused on the intensity. So it's fun intensity because you're focused on the fun, not the intensity. And the key, key element, the big tagline sort of takeaway that I try to teach when I teach this methodology to fitness professionals is to simply say that you can't change your body in a single workout, but you can change your mind. Meaning, if I can change your mind about exercise, I can change how you think and feel about it and your concept of it, you start showing up enough to get the body benefits. So if I make it something you enjoy by creating something that, yes, is challenging, but it also seems playful enough. So we throw around rubber chicken sometimes. Yes, I use heavy ropes. Yes, I use medicine balls. I use kettlebells. But I use some things that are a little bit non-traditional, like maybe balloons or rubber chickens, because it keeps the silliness in there and it makes it fun for people. And when you create a little bit of a friendly competitive space, research shows that even people who identify as, as uh, people who do not like competition, when they are in a competitive environment, they work harder. Even if they go, I don't like competition. When they're in a competitive environment, they actually increase their effort. And so in the context of fitness professionals leading change, if I create an exercise that motivates you to want to perform better, you work harder automatically without me having to try to squeeze more effort out of you to help you get in shape. You self-select the higher intensity. And to me, that's making our job easier as fitness professionals, if we can do that. 
It's that time for another ISSA rapid review. Here we go. Jason had this to say about our strength and conditioning course. It is worth the investment and the time. Quality material backed by great research. We love that. Thanks, Jason. I love, love, love all of that. And we're all we're all kind of familiar with that uh, that old phrase with fires together, wires together, right? And um, you know, I, I think we can we, we can say that for a lot of people when they got their motor neurons firing when they're exercising, they also got some negative feelings firing at the same time and they're they're connected. In other words, they're firing together and wiring together. So it sounds like what you're proposing is we get some of those positive feelings firing while they're moving and exercising, and we can wire them together in that way. Yeah, and can I uh, provide one more tip for trainers too on this? Yes. Something I learned a long time ago was that, you know, sometimes you have someone at the start of a session, they're just bringing their whole day and they just throw it at you. They just dump their whole day on you. Not intentionally, they're just frustrated and they, and they, they have an affinity for you. They enjoy your presence, they trust you. So they bring it to you. And I learned that uh, I used to, like most people, if someone wanted was warming up on a bike or treadmill or something for five minutes, I'd let them vent. I don't even do that anymore. I'm like, okay, if you need to vent on me for three to five minutes, you're gonna do it motionless. You're going to stay over here in a, in, a, in a corner of the space where there's there's no exercise equipment. I don't want you anywhere near. When you start moving, when you start doing your fitness program, you're going to shift out of that space. I'm going to segregate your negative thoughts and you're just dumping all the negative stuff out from the actual physical activity because I do not want those two things to wire together. Well, that's a good point. I never really thought about it like that. Huh. Or like if somebody is complaining in the middle of their training session, do you like give them a break? Like, hey, let's take five. Come back sometimes, yeah. Just can be too distracting if they go down that road too deeply. (laughs) Let's keep it positive now. We'll do a little debrief, you know, during your cool down or something like we gotta try to, or if someone's having some kind of breakdown in the middle, maybe give them five minutes and have them come back. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) No breakdowns on the fitness floor. (laughs) Sometimes it happens, people are human, so true. Very true. Now, I want to circle back to what you were talking about, like the different equipment and things that you might throw in, balloons, the rubber chicken, things like that. That's a super cool idea for a lot of people. What other tips or things could you give somebody like that to throw in fun? Or maybe like they're just like, I can't figure out. I'm in a gym, right? A standard gym. Think of like an LA Fitness or something. Like what can I do here without necessarily bringing my own equipment in here where it's going to get stolen that I can do to make this a little bit more fun? And I know John talks about like going outside with people take a couple of things outside or even take nothing outside and just go for a walk or go do something. I'll go do some skips and stuff. What else would you say, Jonathan? Yeah, you can make really anything in the gym. You can do a, there's an exercise, gosh, even probably one of the first exercises I came up with when I was starting to experiment this combination of physical fitness merge with brain fitness. I call it a catch and release row. If you're doing a dumbbell row or a kettlebell row, you're, you can even be on a bench like you normally are when you're doing your row. And if you think about pulling, so if you can pretend, you know, pulling the weight as you get to the top of the pole near your rib cage, let the weight go and just catch it before it leaves the ground. Pull it, let go and catch, let go and catch, let go and catch every time you're pulling. So now you're a lot more engaged because you're, it's like you're catching something and releasing something you're catching and releasing. It's, it's causing you, it's going to feel a little bit like a game. And I, the question I think is most amusing I've had when I've given that to someone in gym, go, well, what happens if I drop the weight? And I go, it hits more and you right. pick it up and keep, that's what, because, you know, gravity. So it's just going to hit the floor. So you just keep going. But then that little thing, you've got dumbbells, kettlebells almost everywhere. 
Something like that works really well. Another exercise I love to use, especially in a group, because it gets people to show a little bit of their personality is, and these things work just as well in a one-on-one setting as they do in a small group or bootcamp setting. When I created Funtensity and launched it in 2017 and started teaching workshops to teach trainers this methodology, one of the things I was adamant about was if I'm a, if, if I'm creating a system, it's got to be something that can be used in almost any format as possible, other than like a choreographed dance class. It will pretty much apply. And so this works well in one-on-one small group and boot camp. But if you have a medicine ball, you have someone either just tossing or maybe spinning a medicine ball, holding it out in front of them. And then when you have a trigger word, you pick a word, if it's fruitcake or it's, if it's shoe or tree or something like that, you and I decide on a word and then we... When you say that word, I have to slam the ball and then I go back to just squatting with it and spinning it or whatever thing you make up. So you have two different movements and the trigger word creates the moment where you do the second movement, then you go back to the baseline exercise. So this gets some people to show you their personality because you have someone pick their magic word that you're going to use to switch the exercise for them. And for example, if it's um, like if it's shoe, then you could have some fun with it and put in a distractor word, say shoe. And you glue or you say slam it and try to use the tone of your voice to do it. And this, so it becomes a little bit fun and you just get a little chuckle in the middle of it. And yes, this can still be intense because these are some things, medicine balls, uh, there's same little verbal tricks. It's called auditory reactivity. So if I'm cueing this as a fitness professional, I'm saying something and then you're doing something in response. There's a lot of brain training underneath the surface, but on the surface, what it looks like during the experience is it's playful. It's interactive. It's a little bit competitive. So you're just, especially if you're trying to fool someone with distractor words. So these are things that can be used in a gym or studio space. And the extra little benefit here for fitness professionals is these are the things that most other trainers aren't doing. Yeah. And you're going to differentiate yourself when you're, if you toss around a rubber chicken or balloon, or if you use traditional equipment and someone's hearing you call out banana or chicken or ice cream, and they're, they're going to be like wondering what's going on over there. And just people will start to take, take a little bit more of a look at what you're doing, especially if you're in a crowded space and there's 20 other trainers and you're all competing for business, anything you can do to differentiate yourself that is of benefit to the clients is going to put you at a little bit of a competitive advantage. So true. And I love that. I think I'm going to use some of these tips. I work with a lot of youth sports performance, like 10 year olds. I had my 10 year olds yesterday. What a riot. But I was like, they would love something like this, like to just keep them focused with the words and I'll let them pick their word. Oh, I love this gentleman. I will report back. I will let you know how this goes. <laughs> and Jonathan, to stick on this concept, just, just a little while longer. Earlier, you mentioned a passion for, for helping those that need it the most. And what I found with a lot of those folks is that, like you said, exercise was a chore. There was nothing that sounded fun about it. You gave us some great tips on how to add fun. But specifically, do you have any tips for our listeners as how, in terms of how to draw out from maybe some of those difficult clients what might be fun for them and how to turn the experience into a good one for them? Good question. That's a a very important question only only because we think certain things are fun and fun is subjective, just like stress is subjective. What, what, you know, some people love roller coasters, other people terrified of them, right? So there's a difference of opinion there as far as what's stressful, but also what's fun is unique to each individual as well. And sometimes you'll have people, because I've had these people and they go, oh, I don't like any kind of physical activity. Okay. That's a learned response. And I can prove it to you by saying that there's no fish born that naturally hate water. It's just that simple. You don't have a fish go, I don't like water. I just don't like water. <laughs> that fish is a dead fish. Yeah. And, and they don't talk, but that's beside. 
the idea there is that and anything that makes us thrive as humans, including physical activity, vegetables, if we end up hating it, that's a learned response. Now, there is genetic variability in the degree to which all humans enjoy physical activity. Some people enjoy it more, some people enjoy it less, but nobody naturally hates it. So what we need to do is have people, especially in the, in the context of exercise, when they're starting out, let them choose the intensity. So step one is you know, get, our, get out of our heads about what we think is the right intensity based on their goals. And give them a week or two if, if they prefer to stick with low intensity. If they're new to exercise and they prefer high intensity because they're a dude who's uh, used to be an athlete in college and even though he's 50 years old, he's got a 20-year-old brain, you also have to try to dial it down a little bit, but let him do enough high intensity that he feels satisfied with it because the research shows that when you let people self-select their, in, their intensity initially, they have a more favorable response to that experience. And if it's on the lower side, if they think they're only comfortable with lower intensity, if we let them get comfortable there, it expands their capabilities such that they might be willing to try moderate or higher intensity efforts eventually. And it doesn't take long. We just have to get over that initial resistance. But then when we want to get more specific, it's some prompting and some questioning where you can say, well, if you could, if I could snap my fingers and make you fit right now, what kind of activities would you like to pursue that you used to do and haven't done in a long time? That's one way to approach it. Another one is to think about what things would you do in your spare time that are, that are physical in nature that you maybe want to try and have never done before? Uh, or walk me through a day in your life. If I could, if I could snap my fingers and make you fit right now, what is something you would look forward to doing physically? So you have this sort of aspirational prompting where you're asking them to imagine a future in which they're inhabiting a different reality than the one they exist in now. This lets them choose, even if it's speculative, they just begin to choose which forms of physical activity and exercise may be most appealing to them because it's impossible for us to be able to figure that out for someone. So that's just some open-ended prompting questions we can use. And you, you will get people that'll say, oh, I don't think I would like anything. Okay, um, I'll ask you again in a week. Take some time to think about it because sometimes in the moment, people won't be able to come up with something. But yeah. in their quiet moments, when they're at home at night in bed, maybe reading or just thinking, driving or in the shower, boom, this little thing, you know, I might want to try blank. So keep asking them. Sometimes when people are put on the spot, because most fitness professionals have never taken the time to dig that deeply into someone's personality anyway, they may not have even thought about it either. So that you've got two different ways of all of a sudden this very deep question putting them uh, not on the defensive a little bit, but just they don't have an answer for it yet. So don't let it go. But in a nice way, don't let it go. Just say, hey, just take some time to think about it. I'll ask you again in a few days or the next time I see you. And I just want you to really think about, you know, if you can't come up with something you enjoy, come up with something that you dislike the least. And we'll start there. <laughs> Love it, right? And I'm over here making eyes at John because I'm like, we have some stuff coming down the pipeline that uses some of these aspirational questions. So I'm so excited, Jonathan, to hear you talk about that. Because um, you're right, most people, most people out there, most trainers out there do not use questions like this because they don't take the time to ask or potentially don't care what the client likes. But that's I would, huge. I would say, in fairness, I don't think they don't care. I just think that uh, for most fitness professionals, it's like, you, you, I don't know if you remember that old book, like women are from Mars, men are from Venus. And here comes my astronomy background out again. But I, <laughs> I feel like we're on planet fitness and someone else is on planet whatever. 
planet out of shape, planet obesity, whatever you want to call it. And it, it's, it's impossible for us to understand what it's like. Cause I can tell you as a teenager, like I used to have to scrub my father's back. I used to have to tie his shoes in public. Uh, there was one time he had a dinner plate sitting on his stomach for three hours after he was eating. I was in my room doing homework. He had me put it in the kitchen. It was just sitting there for hours. He had me take it to the kitchen for it. Like you can't appreciate what it's like in that when someone's really heavy and out of shape, just as one example, that there's many ways people can be demotivated by physical activity. But when you live that way, every little thing becomes an engineering problem. And it's just impossible for someone who perhaps doesn't have a background like mine, um, just because may, maybe they grew up playing sports and they loved physical activity and it was part of their household and they and, and then they decided to work as a trainer. You just you just don't have the experience. It's it's unfair to expect that right out of the gate, you're immediately going to understand what it's like to be that person. And so I wouldn't say that trainers don't care, especially newer ones. If they've lived a fit life and they've been around fit people their whole life, they just don't have the life experience yet to know how to be sensitive to someone who just does not live on the same planet that they do. Fair. I like that. And that's a good way to think about it. For sure. Yeah. You know what? And I think questions like that may in the very least help to kind of disarm the moment with the, with a new client where now they understand that you're, you're looking out for them in a way where it's not just giving them exercise. You're trying to give them a good experience uh, while doing exercise. So even though you haven't figured out what's fun for them yet, at least, at least you'd let them know that that's, that's your goal. Exactly. That's a great observation, John, even, even for people that just don't have an answer, they know you're asking most fits, most people they've encountered in fitness don't ask them questions like that. So they're going to immediately know that you're a different caliber of fitness professional just by virtue of the fact that you asked that question. I like it. I like it. So Jonathan, you have so much to offer. I'm interested in directing people to your Alzheimer's uh, fitness specialist course that you wrote. Um, and then of course, the whole library of things that MedFit offers. So where can our listeners find you and find more about MedFit? So the MedFit specialist courses, again, they specialize on, on teaching fitness professionals to successfully deliver fitness in the context of a medical condition. And we have a very extensive library. We're adding more courses. We launch a new course about once every three, four months. The easiest way to look for those courses is to go to medfitclassroom.org. And then at the top where you see education, you'll look under the menu for specialist courses. And then that will give you the list of all of our specialist courses. They're all between 10 and 20 hours long. And they will give you credits for ISSA and most of the other major certifying bodies as well. And as far as me personally, uh, you mentioned Fontensity. So that's a great place for people to find me as well. They can just go to Fontensity.com and see some stuff on the website. You can go to the Fontensity social media, which is just at Fontensity. That's all things Fontensity related. More generally for me, it's, it's just at Jonathan Ross Fit. That's my social media for a more broad sort of category of fitness information that I put out there. Love it. And just so you guys know, on the Funtensity website, he does sell the rubber chicken. <laughs> That's awesome. I was thinking about where can somebody get, where can one get a rubber chicken? So now we know. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. This has been really, really fun. Really good conversation. Can I add one more little thing in closing? Because Absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking of all the trainers out there. And, and I can tell you this, that in terms of enjoyment, which is a big part of this talk today, the one thing that working in fitness as long has taught me is that fitness isn't about exercise. So here's what I mean by this. When you're working with someone and you're struggling to get them to turn a corner and you're, you're just maybe getting frustrated, not at them, but just with the situation, understand that our main, our main role as fitness professionals is to communicate 
a very simple idea, which is nevertheless very powerful. And that is that whatever you love about life, it gets better and you do it more and you enjoy it more when you do it in a fit body. And that means, so whatever someone likes to do, whatever it is, if they have cherished experiences that they cannot do any longer and, and they have cherished people in their life that they love, that they want to share those experiences with, a fit body will help them do it more. It's not about shapely glutes or buff biceps. We might think it is lose weight, have more energy, all that big stuff. We have to find the emotional motivators for people, the things that will get them to care enough to show up consistently. And that's unique to each individual. So discovering the emotional relevance of exercise for each person we work with is the essential tool in helping them motivate themselves. Because once you help them figure out what that is, they somehow magically discover an almost endless well of motivation because you've now connected fitness to the things that they care about and the people that they care about and having those cherished experiences with the people that they love. That's the key to motivating people to stick with fitness long-term. I love it. Mic drop. Um, anything else to say after that? <laughs> that's awesome. I'm done. Right? And we're done here. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, that's great, Jonathan. Thank you for sharing that. John, any last words for our listeners today? That was it. I think... Sorry, I thought you were talking to this John, not that John. <laughs> hey, you know what? I almost blew it a couple of times during this podcast, too. I thought she was asking me a question, and I almost answered, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, but, you know, just one easy one. What's good for the body is good for the brain. Um, and, and without getting too complex about it, I think that just means get out there and move, right? And then if we happen to add some novelty to it and, and add to the brain health, great. But it's good for the body, good for the brain, so get out there and move. Absolutely. And I mean, like I said, Jonathan, you kind of knocked it dead at the end there. Beautiful sentiments. Um, but I love everything that you're you're talking about with adding fun to uh, fitness, making it enjoyable for people. Um, we have to do it. We have to. Um, and that's there's a lot of people out there that need that from us. And if we show that to them, I think, like you said, it's going to make a, a big difference in a lot of people's lives. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Absolutely. And thank you guys for listening. This has been a really fun episode. Listen, re-listen, go back. Um, check out his website that he shared with us, guys. There's lots of great information out there. So much to learn. Um, we don't know what we don't know. But thank you guys for joining us. And as always, we encourage you to make good choices. We'll be talking to you soon.